Podcast episode 101, and we have uh, half of the crew here today coming from beautiful Los Angeles. The other half, of course, coming from Seattle as we approach the uh, expansion draft here this week. Dennis, what's the weather like up there? It's beautiful here. How is it up in Seattle? Well, yesterday, John, it was L.A.-like. It was 81 degrees and sunny, which I thought was a rarity, but they tell me that, uh, you know, three months out of the year, it's like this, and then nine months, it's gloom, which is what we have today. If 66 degrees, cloudy, maybe touches 70. I suspect the same thing for tomorrow, probably high about 70, dropping the mid 50s uh, tomorrow. So that's, and when the event comes, but which is an outdoor event, but no chance of rain, which is a good thing. So typical Seattle weather today. Well, I, I wish that 81 was LA like because it's about 117 here in Southern California oh, no. <laughs> uh, for, for what feels like an extended couple of weeks. So it's been rather warm. But uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been to Seattle probably uh, half a dozen times or so, and all all of them had beautiful weather with the exception of one mm-hmm. visit, had a little bit of rain. But uh, it's always been nice when I'm there. So thankfully, the rain was not when I was there. And I wish you nothing but great weather uh, here this week while you're up there. It'd be nice since it's we're going to be broadcasting outdoors for SiriusXM for the uh, post-draft uh, tra- show. So I think hopefully we'll get it. We're, I think we're undercover, but, yes, it will be nice to have uh, some clear skies tomorrow night. When I think of DB and an umbrella, it's it's usually in a drink. It has nothing to do with one over your head. So <laughs> I'm not sure how that'll, not sure how that'll work out. If you That's one of your best lines ever, some bro. Sprinkles. Exactly. That was fantastic. All right. Uh, let's get started, man. We have a lot to cover this week. It's, it's uh, heavy on the draft coverage in today's program. There's going to be some expansion draft coverage. There's also going to be some entry draft discussion, uh, as, as well as a great guest during the second period. We have J.F. Berube yes. coming in. He's a goaltender, of course, who was drafted by the L.A. Kings developed by the LA Kings was picked up on waivers by the New York Islanders. So he left town for a while and um, really had the bulk of his uh, pro career with other organizations and then Mm -hmm. returned uh, earlier this year in 2021. He came back home, as they say, to play for the Ontario Reign as one of their uh, veteran goaltenders. He signed with AHL Ontario uh, for this season and now once again as a free agent. So we'll talk to Berube about his time in the Kings organization, including winning a Calder Cup DB back with Mike Stuthers, uh, the Mm -hmm. final season in Manchester. So there's a lot to talk about with Berube. Yeah, Stuthers, Uh, Berube, a lot of two, two big Mayor's Manor favorites for sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this. I probably have talked to Berube more than just about any other prospect. I was saying Berube and Toffoli are probably the two guys mm-hmm. that I spoke to the most during their development time, only because length of time I'm talking about. Yes, not like sure. had the most conversations with them, but I mean, like 
Berube goes back to like what 2009 or 10 or whatever. I mean, it's a long mm-hmm. time ago. And yep. uh, to Foley, the 2010 draft in Los Angeles. So For we're sure. talking, we're talking over a decade, uh, which is which is really wow. really weird. But anyway, um, DB, the fans love it. So let me uh, clue you in as well. Today we are coming to you live from the JS Oban Studio, and uh, I'm assuming that you're familiar with that name, being that uh, he he has some ties to both the Kings and the Ducks. I believe that's the last player that was traded between the Ducks and the Kings, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the second to last. I'd have to go back and take a look because I think that Sean O'Donnell actually came later. Um, so I think there Definitely was one. Okay. You could be right, but I'd have to go look that up. But the reason I bring him up is a number of reasons. Obviously, there's a goaltender tie-in because we have Barubes coming on the program today. But also, he was yep. traded to Anaheim for a seventh-round pick. So more on seventh round picks in the uh, third period coming up later today. Uh, and, and also because it's a little bit timely in the sense that I think there's an opportunity for the Kings and the Ducks to potentially make a trade. Now, I'm not stirring up a rumor here, and I'm not saying that it's going to happen or even that I've heard that there's something close, but this is what I'm thinking. Uh, there are indications that the Ducks are open to trading Raquel. The Kings are certainly in the market for a player like Raquel. Mm. And so this could be an opportunity. And then who knows? Maybe with Jeff Solomon sliding down there, maybe they're sure. more open to having discussions at this particular time. I'm just saying there aren't, as you pointed out a minute ago, there aren't very many trades between <laughs> the two Southern California hockey teams. Maybe there's a deal to be made here. Yeah, possibly. And certainly another forward and established forward would certainly help this team. Maybe get put on Kopitar's line. So that would be very intriguing if it went off, John. Here's what I'm wondering. If that trade was to happen, what in the world would go back the other way? Because for starters, I don't even understand why Anaheim is entertaining the idea of moving him. And number two, I don't even really know what they would want in return for the player. So normally when we talk about guys, when we talk about, you know, whoever, whether Eichel, Reinhardt, you know, Seth Jones, whatever, Mm -hmm. we can kind of put some guardrails around the deal. I mean, I literally have no idea what Anaheim would even be looking for to move him. I would think... Well I, don't, well, I don't think a roster player, so I think it would be a future. It'd have to be, well, you wouldn't give a first round for the guy, so maybe a second round no. or maybe a prospect, not both. I mean, he, he hasn't, like, like, there were a lot of goals in the stick, John, back in the day, but not lately. Mm-hmm. So I think you get him out of this kind of, and he's in his walk year, John. So I, I think that middle-level prospect may be conditional, maybe conditional pick. I think that would be it. The cap hit isn't bad. It's 3-7. Right, so I think that that's mm-hmm. would would stand in your favor. But you know, he went from thirty four to eighteen to fifteen to nine goals in fifty two games. So maybe you get the guy in a contract here, and he wakes up and he plays on a top line with Kopi. Maybe that's a possibility. So, um, but I think based on those numbers and a walk year, I don't think it will be much to get Ricardo Kell out of Anaheim. Yeah, you just have to wonder if those teams are willing to hook up. And look, before yeah. I get 7,000 uh, replies in my uh, tw- uh, Twitter timeline or other social media channels, uh, I am not saying that he is the number one target on the LA Kings list. I put out a full article, DB, that was a lot of fun. One yep. player from every yes. team. Yes, if cool. I was the GM, who mm-hmm. I would be targeting, and Raquel was the player there for Anaheim. But that type of an article usually leads to, okay, that's great. You gave us 30 names. Uh, however, you know who is at the top of the list or who would you go after? And I, I'm pretty much already on record with who the guys are that I think that they should oh, yeah. be targeting right now. So if you're interested in that, go go read that on mayorsmanner.com. Uh, DB, the, the bulk of the first period here of the program today, what I'd like to do is focus heavily on the Seattle expansion draft and who sure. will they take from the LA Kings. And along those lines, I put out an article uh, for some fun and uh, just said, hey, 
based upon the players that are available, these are the guys in in a particular order that I think uh, the Kings will be, uh, or the, excuse me, that Seattle would be selecting and put some percentages there because that's what I did the last time around for uh, for the Vegas right, thing. Right, I had right. yes, just yes. as a as a level set. I had. Trevor Lewis and Braden McNabb both at 35%, and part of that was due to some intel on, on who they were interested in, and then Dustin Brown at 20%, largely right. based upon, I mean, come on, you're getting a two-time Stanley Cup champion sure. in the face of a franchise and an all-around good guy would have been would have been wonderful for Vegas. And then I know they also had some uh, interest in Clifford, and so I had him there at 10%. Um, so I just went with the percentages again. And then also I saw that earlier today you tweeted out, uh, somebody put out odds, and yes. those odds are... Rather interesting compared to the odds that I put out. <laughs> that you so, had, I um, know. <laughs> I, yeah. will, I will allow you to, uh, to, to interject here in just a moment and, and, and give us more on that. Uh, there is also a chart. If you like charts and you like analytics, uh, the group over at Impact Sport, they provided a chart uh, basically ranking Kings players um, in terms of their offensive and, and defensive capabilities uh, and projections, You know, kind of like a fantasy sports thing, but it's analytics-based. And um, it highlights all of the uh, the key players that are available uh, coming from L.A., and it ranks them compared to the the, the better players that are protected. So like uh, Andre Kopitar, for example, he's number one on the list, and Drew Doughty, ironically, is number two on the graph. Number three was Dustin Brown, um, so that's mm-hmm. interesting. And then you get into Ayafalo and whatnot. So, sure. TB, to kick that off, um, at the top of the list, coming in at 27%, I have Austin Wagner as the most likely guy that Seattle will take. And I just want to clarify this before getting your opinion on him. I'm also not suggesting that's the guy that I would take if I'm right. uh, Ron Francis and I'm the GM. It's not, but I will tell you, I've talked to some really smart people in the world of hockey that uh, have some good intel, some good insights, some good opinions, and they believe that that's the player, and that's why I put him number one at 27%. Uh, Austin Wagner, bottom six forward, what, what do you want to add to that, DB? Um, I was surprised he was the top of your list, but I, I I know it's based on the intel that you've done with respect to asking people around the league. So, yeah, maybe he finds his hands in Seattle. Maybe they're sitting over here by the fish market. I'm not really sure, but uh, I was a little surprised. But, again, I think at 27%, it's not like a, a resounding like top of the list, correct? Correct. I think there are three guys at the top yeah. of the list, and he's right there in the mix. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, people probably picked up on it. I was trying to be a little bit funny going with 27, um, giving him right, a nod right. only as, a, <laughs> as a, an homage to his jersey number there. Uh, could have been right, right. 25, but went with 27%. Sure. Um, and people have pointed out also that the fact that he's under contract, don't discount that because he has two years on his deal. So there is some team control right. there um, as well. So sure. uh, you do have that. So. Wagner at 27%. Now, number two on the list probably dropped a ton of jaws uh, when this came out, uh, just based upon the reaction that I yes. received. Curtis McDermott, <laughs> I put down at 23%, uh, certainly blew some people's minds. But I will tell you, I had some people point out to me something very interesting, and that is that uh, Ron Francis played with Paul McDermott, mm-hmm. and there is a tremendous amount of respect between the two and a longstanding relationship that goes back to the, to the uh, early 80s. DB, that's a long-time relationship right there. And uh, the other thing that I put in there, don't discount the fact that you're getting one of the true, legit heavyweights in the league. Yeah. And to be able to have him out there, you know, getting into a couple of fisticuffs every once in a while would certainly, I would think, excite a fan base. People keep trying to take fighting out of the game, DB, but for some reason when there's a fight, everybody's on their feet and cheering and loving it. So uh, <laughs> it, you could do a lot worse than taking Curtis McDermott and, and energizing your fan base. Yeah, and I think if you want that facet of the game on your roster, 
then you take and if you look at the rest of the players that they're considering, there's not a player with that facet um, on any mock drafts that I've seen. So I, I understand, and of course, and John, you know this business is about relationships. So let's not discount that uh, that mm-hmm. nugget that you un, um, you know unfurled with respect to the relationship between Francis and the uh, and the father too. So if you do want that component on your team, then yeah, McDermott's a a legitimate consideration. Now. If you were an expansion general manager, would that be important to you as you try to put your team together? And again, I'm not asking specifically about would you take McDermott, but just would you take that type of a player? Would you want a certain amount of toughness? How would you want to build your expansion team? Because expansion Mm -hmm. teams in this new era of the Vegas expansion era, it's different than the expansion era of when you were trying to build the Minnesota Wild or trying to build the San Jose Sharks before that. Sure. I think I'd want that component, John, on my fourth line and not on my defense. Because cause if we saw mm-hmm. the way McDermott played in the, you know, the, the latter half of last season, it was a challenge for him. So for, for me, I think you can get away with it more on the fourth line than on a third-pair defenseman because mm-hmm. you can be exposed more. So I would want that facet. I want that toughness. I would prefer being a, on a forward like a Ryan Reeves or a Pat Maroon or somebody like that as opposed to my sixth defenseman. Well. As I reported a couple weeks ago, a month ago, whenever it was, DB, the Kings are allegedly working with McDermott to convert him over to uh, yeah, a forward this summer. Mm-hmm. So we will have to see. And I will also say uh, I was trying to book Dermy for the podcast, and the preference seems to be to come on heading into training camp. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess we'll have to get an update at that time how that conversion from defenseman to forward, <laughs> how it went over the summer. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Again, assuming he's sure. even a member of the LA Kings because he very well could be a member of the Seattle Kraken at that point. We would have to get a hold of the uh, yeah. the, the PR staff with the Kraken, uh, our friend Ben Guerrero, who used to be with the San Jose Sharks. So anyway, uh, next on the list, yes. at 15% is Kale Clegg. Now, in my opinion, DB, this is the guy that you pick. Uh, out of all the players that are available from Los Angeles, I say that you pick Kale Clegg. You're talking about a 23, 24-year-old defenseman. He can play both the right side, can play the left side, has a tremendous yeah. amount of offensive upside. And if you're an expansion team, you would think that you're looking for goals and you would think that Kale Clegg could fit into that. There's one caveat in the Clegg selection, and that is that he's out of waivers. And so you have to really mm-hmm. guarantee that you're going to put him among your seven defensemen come opening night because you're wasting your well, you're wasting everybody's time if you select Clegg yeah. and then end up putting him on waivers, and you will lose him to waivers. So if you select him and then put him on waivers in, uh, in, in after training camp in October, what was the point of the exercise? You would have been better off taking another player. That's the wrinkle. Where do you land on this? Uh, I agree with you that I and people have asked me. I said I would pick Clegg. I get the out of waivers, but remember they're picking thirty players. And the roster is only 23, so you're going to have to expose certain players. I, I think you select him, John, and then you, you roll the dice. And does he make the? Is he good enough to make the team in you know in 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 September? Take him to training camp, saying he got a full yeah. opportunity. And I think the, the 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 positive about him is that he never got a full run here in LA. Like he never really mm-hmm. got a full opportunity to show his chance. So that would be, and I agree for for the reasons the toolkit that he brings to the ice. I would roll the dice even if you do wind up losing him to waivers. I'm not sure there would be a claim. Unless he has a really strong training camp, John, and you've got such strong defensemen in Seattle, which may or may not be the case. Uh, but that would be the guy i pick, and I would pick it with some confidence because while he might not make the top six or seven, I think he might be able to clear and stay in the organization. Mm, that would be interesting. Um 
yeah, it, it's it's a funny thing, right? Because you you're not going to claim him and then try to flip him because the Kings could have flipped him if he had trade value, and it's this weird no. thing that happens where. A player has trade value sure. immediately following the draft and maybe for a year or two after. But coming off of their entry-level contract after they've you know, essentially been – they were drafted several years ago, three years ago uh, right. or more, their, their trade value kind of dips unless they have that NHL experience, and he doesn't have those NHL games to build his trade value back up. So he has a bunch of promise, but he doesn't necessarily have the cachet uh, of a shiny new toy, which is what NHL general managers like. And – so you have to wonder, where is Clegg? And I mentioned it on a couple podcasts ago. To me, he's like this player who has just seen an un- a series of unfortunate events. It's not that he's missed out on opportunities because of anything that necessarily that he's done wrong. It's just that you know you go to the broken foot. He missed out on the, uh, his NHL call-up. He broke his foot the night before he was due to be called up. And just all these little things that have sort of happened along the way. And, yeah, a change of scenery might do him some good, might really give him uh, a, a fresh set of con- or a fresh amount of confidence heading into training camp, but it could really do a player like Kale Clegg some 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 good. <laughs> Moving on, uh, after those three players, then you get into um, an, an interesting mix. So the next one is Oli Mata, and to be honest with you, at fifteen percent DB, I I'm just not sure where to land on Mata. So a little bit of context here. One of the things that Vegas was looking to do heading into the expansion draft last year, or excuse me, last time around in 2017, was that they wanted to take a bunch of players on expiring contracts that they could could then flip at the trade deadline and use those assets that they acquired to build through the draft. And of course, things went a little bit, uh, you know, to the left. I won't say sideways, but things a little, you know, turned on them because they they caught lightning in a bottle, and so uh, the team ended up being, you know, a really good team. In Olimata, they would, if Seattle was to sort of follow that game plan, then they would be getting a player similar to that. They would be getting a player on an expiring contract that should be very attractive at the NHL trade deadline uh, in, what, February of next year uh, because he has two Stanley Cups. He has the experience. He's still, you know, uh, young, whatever he is, 26, 27 years old at that point. Um, and a team would be willing to take him because they're only getting, you know, they're getting him for a couple of months. He's a classic trade deadline acquisition for a team looking to go on a run. Uh, and at the same time, he gives you experience. So in the short term, he helps the Seattle Kraken. I just don't know if I can fully get behind them taking Oli Mata when I look at the list of other players that are available from the Kings. What do you say? Well, I don't think you pick a player thinking I'm going to trade him at the trade deadline. I think you got to pick players to win games at this point, John. I think that, that that's what's what you have to do. I get the logic of it. Not what I would do. If I if I think he's good enough for my top seven, then I pick him. If I don't, I, I I'm because then you're hoping that he'll play enough to trade him at the deadline. And what are you going to get for the guy? A fourth round pick, a fifth round pick. So to me, that's not what I would do. I would only pick I him think if you I'm could get more thinking to he's going to be able to play and do better than yeah. No, I think so you could get Mata? more than a fourth round pick. What do you think you can yeah, get? Yeah, I do at the. Tr- uh, I bet you could probably could get a third round pick. I mean, at the trade deadline, a guy with his experience, oh. he can play second pair. He could play third. Pair. That's a great but he didn't, ad. If you're if you're a contending team, that's the kind of guy that you pick up at the trade deadline. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think a third round pick. Maybe maybe a fourth okay. or a fifth and conditional move him up. But I don't. It would depend on the season he had, John. So maybe to me that's a maybe. Okay, and I get your point. Mm-hmm. If, he, if he goes up there and plays 20 minutes a night and does decently, then yes, you could. Like, I'm not confident he could because he couldn't do it in L.A. 
Okay. The analytics were actually pretty strong on Mata once you get uh, once you moved him away from Dowdy, once he wasn't on the top pair, once you break that bromance up and you put Oli Mata really where he, he should mm-hmm. have been slotted or where he was more comfortable, I don't know, whatever, how he better, you know, better, best fit into the L.A. system, however you want to put it. Uh, it did it did work out much better for Oli Mata. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. All right, so he was at 15%. Mm-hmm. To me, there is a steep drop-off. Right. We talk about this a lot with the NHL uh, entry draft and how there are tiers, right? You don't always necessarily – player 15 and player 16 sure. in the first round are not are not really always comparable first-round picks. If, the, if there's a significant tier break at 15, there could be a drastic drop from 15 to 16. Uh, I think that's what's going on here. And what I mean is Oli Mata is really where I draw a significant line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes from 15%. It goes down to 8% for uh, Andres Athanasio. Uh, yeah, he scored 30 goals. Everyone loves to tweet me that and tell me all about that. Okay, congratulations. He scored 30 goals. Uh, that was when he was <laughs> with a different team. Here in Los Angeles this year, he finished the season uh, with – Zero goals over the final 12 games, and he also, earlier in the year, this is all in a 56-game season too, Dennis, he had a 15-game stretch where uh, he only had two goals. So for a guy who is primarily in your lineup to generate offense, those were two real dry spells that he had in L.A., and I just don't think, I don't think that he's the player... Uh, that you take, and I said in the article, look, he could be, if you want to use a Vegas comparable, uh, he could be Jonathan Marshall, or he could also be Oscar Lindbergh, meaning he could be a home run and he could also be a big yeah. yeah. Look, I think it's a great, somebody asked me about that online today. It's a great re- redemption story. Like, I don't think he's the future here in Los Angeles. And, and I don't know, he, he's, a, he's a middle six player. So uh, w- w- would he be the best selection? If you believe that with more time, he can get to 20 or 25 goals in Seattle, then you take him, right? He's the more, I think he's the most established offensive player you could get out of this this organization. But I, I'm not sure, John, that, that we haven't seen his peak. I love the story. People sold him short, didn't think he was going to return, right? Didn't think he was going to be in the NHL. He signed, what, three days before camp started, found the spot, was somewhat productive, I get it, I understand it, but it wouldn't be the selection that that I would make if I'm picking from this organization. Yeah. Uh, you said something interesting, and that is that he's the most established. He does have over 300 NHL games experience. The next guy on my list is Martin Furk at 7%, so just slightly below. You can almost put them in the same tier, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, Furky only has about 100 and some odd games, very very low number of games, about a third of the number right. of games that uh, the AA has played. And they're roughly about the same age. And Ferk, to me, is a guy who just hasn't been afforded the same opportunities that Double A has. Double A over 300 games. He has a body of work. We we sort of know what he is at this point, in my opinion. And Ferk, man, how unfortunate was it that he had the groin injury earlier this year? Because that basically took him yeah. from being penciled into the L.A. lineup, and he should have had 56 games, should have had a full season. Um, there, to me, there's a good chance that if Martin Furk had played a full season this year, he might have been protected instead of Trevor Moore. We talked about that on the last episode. So I would almost, if I was Ron Francis, I would swing on Furk. If I'm taking a swing, I would swing on Furk instead of swinging on double A just because I, I would look at it and say that he hasn't quite had the same opportunity given the number of NHL games played. Yeah, I see your logic. I wouldn't go for either, but I, I, I understand why you would prefer Furk over double A and plus he's got a hundred nine mile an hour slap shot. So let's go. <laughs> 
Yeah, the fans the fans should love that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that that. And again, I'm not saying that Martin Furk would be right, the pick. Exactly. I'm just saying if I had to pick between the two, I would lean more towards Furk than I would over Double A. That's right. just my opinion. Okay, there are some additional names here to wrap up uh, this portion of the program. TB, you have Carl Grundstrom, Blake Lazat, Matt Luff, and Austin Strand. I put all of them at 4%. I do just want to touch quickly on Blake Lazat, and this is probably where you want to mention your your betting odds there. Um, Blake Lazat is a, is a solid pickup if you're looking for a bottom six player you know, for an expansion team. Uh, and, I, and I added this into the article um, after it posted. So if people read the first version of it, they might have missed my additional comments on Lazat where I said basically, look, uh, his character is off the charts and he's a high culture guy. You know, coaches love him. He's a coach's dream. And I think he would be great at helping forge an identity for the Kraken during training camp. Um, you know, so my, my thought is this, though. Even if you double his chances, I put him at four. And even if you put him at 8%, you know, so even if I was sleeping on him a little bit, he still is down in that double A FERC level. He hasn't even elevated enough mm-hmm. up to the, to you know, Olimata level. I don't think I can't logic my way into him surpassing one of the top three players that we talked about um, here. And, and and even if somebody felt that, then maybe you will. Maybe you'll change my mind. But even I think if somebody did logic him into the top three, even then he would be third. Like I still think that Wagner and Clegg would be more likely to be the two players. What do you make of Blake Lazat? And then we'll talk about Austin Strand. Uh, I agree with you with Clegg. I don't agree with Wagner. I, I think because you could put mm. him in as your three or four C and be happy, and he's proved it. Uh, again, a great story. So he's going to show some leadership in the room, right? He was an undrafted free agent in the St. Cloud. He, he made the team. He's proven he could make it not just one season, John, two seasons. So he's, he's a legitimate NHL player. So if you're looking, you're not, he's not Yanni Gord, right? But if you're looking for a serviceable three or four seed to start this team, I think that he's going to come in, bust his ass and be a quality player. So I like him better from a, I guess from a personality standpoint than Austin Wagner. Um, but I, I would still rank him between those two and, I think he'd be a quality selection because he would uh, – not that John, he's going to explode and be a 15-goal scorer in Seattle, but I just think that bottom six or that bottom three, I think he'd be a nice fit down in, 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 up in Seattle. Yeah, the character is off the charts. I just – I can't say that enough. And so yeah. he's a he's a high of culture course. guy. And I think when you're trying to establish an identity, the more and more I thought about it, when you're trying to establish an identity, uh, I, I might have might have slept on him a little bit in that sense, but uh, I – you know. Wherever, wherever you slot him in, I still think that Kale Clegg is the better pick. That's my sure. own personal opinion, so we'll see where it goes. Um, Austin Strand there. Interesting story only because of the tie-in to Seattle and, and some upside there. I mean, he's still a young defenseman. He's six foot three. He's 24 years old. He just had a small cup of coffee in the NHL. And, I mean, look, if, if you can say that Clegg has potential with a small you know, sample size, you can certainly say the same thing about Austin Strand. He, he came in as a free agent instead of the you know, second-round pick that Clegg was. That all once you're drafted or undrafted, it all changes once you turn pro. And Austin Strand has made the most of his his couple years in the LA system. Totally. There are ties to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Strand played with the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds there in the WHL. I think you could really build off of that. It would be great for your marketing team and whatnot. Um, I'm just not sure if that's enough. If I'm Ron Francis to try to take a player, although I do like the fact that he's six foot three and uh, has a nice shot and could potentially give us some offense from the blue line. If I'm the Kraken. Yeah, I just don't think the body of work is big enough, John, in the NHL to uh, to select that player. So I think that it would be – it's a nice afterthought, but but I understand where you have him ranked with the specter percentages. 
Okay, the last guy on the list. DB, I, I, I had to put a number greater than zero because there's always the possibility. I have Jonathan Quick <laughs> at 1%, and, and people need to really read or at least listen right now so they understand. One of our favorite words on this program, Dennis, is context. This is not about me and yes. being critical of the player. Anybody who has ever listened to me on the radio, listened to this podcast, listened to or read Mayor's Manor, Huge Jonathan Quick guy. I think he's one of the most competitive uh, players that you know the Kings have ever had inside their locker room. I still think that he has some good years left in front of him. I, I don't buy into the to the hype that uh, you know Jonathan Quick is you know dead man walking. I, I I'm a big fan of the player and uh, and his makeup as well. And I think any time that he's has Billy Ranford as his goaltending coach, I think that you know there's an opportunity for uh, Quick to to do well between the pipes. I'm just giving you a percentage of where I think Seattle is. They already have one player lined up at goal, which is the guy, the kid from Florida. There are many goaltenders that are available to them. Mm. I just don't see them using the selection on quick and the comparables. And I said this a couple episodes ago, the comparables to uh, Marc-Andre Fleury to me are rather lazy. Marc-Andre Fleury was three or four years younger than quick is right now when Vegas took him. That's huge in goaltending years. And uh, he was coming from a Pittsburgh team that was uh, riding back to back Stanley Cup, you know, titles. So a real different point of the arc of their career. I just don't see them taking quick. What about you, DB? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, the Drieger kid from Florida has already been has worked out a deal. They like Braden Holpe. They like the Kakinen kid from Minnesota because they're uh, drafting. Uh, they're protecting uh, Matt Cam Talbot. Um, and then the the million eleven million dollar question brought about Carey Price. What do they do with Carey Price? So. While Jonathan Quick might be on that list, John, he's sixth or seventh or whatever. So, yeah, you want some championship rings in the room. I get it. I understand it. I just think John Quick's proper place is, you know, behind Cal Peterson at this point in time. So I, I don't I don't see it happening either uh, with respect to, to picking Jonathan Quick because there are options that I think Francis and Seattle likes better. Now, with respect to the odds – Right. Bet Online AG has three only listed three guys, John. So we'll see. And they had Blake Lazaf, even money, Jonathan Quick four to one, and Oli Mana seven to one. So a little bit different than your ranking. But uh on Quick, I, I just don't see it. I think a lot of things would have to happen for them to get down to Quick on their list. This is the last right. minute of you, play. You in like the to uh put some money down. Uh, would you would you put 20 bucks on any of those guys there? Would you put a hundy down on on any of those three? I mean Blake Lazat's even money, but Oli Mata uh, was he would you say 7 to 1 on Oli Mata? 7 to 1. Yeah. No, I would put yeah. even I, I I would eat the chalk, John, and I would bet on Lazat. I had to bet <laughs> one of the three. I would not bet quick. I don't think that. And again, John, I think what the issue is is that, you know, you have guys making odds and they're not experts on on the 30 teams that are being picked. And so if they had done some maybe additional research, they would have had a different list of players, right? So I, I think that, that it's a little bit skewed. So I think the only the only like thing I would be more confident would be would be betting, betting on Blake Lazat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, look, that was a fun uh, exercise there. Do, do you want to make your prediction, DB? Uh, who do you think? Go out on a limb. Who do you think they're going to take? Uh, I think Cal Clegg. Okay, you're going Clegg. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the first period. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to J.F. Berube, and uh, then we will return for the third period. We'll talk a little bit more about the expansion draft, but really turn our attention to what's coming up later in the week, which is the NHL entry draft. We'll be back, we'll be back right after the break.
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. And we are excited to be joined today by somebody who's been around and affiliated with the LA Kings organization for a long, long time. We'll talk about that throughout the uh, conversation. Goaltender J.F. Berube. Berubes, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Um, well, if I can if I can out you now for a second and tell you the truth, um, when I asked for you to come on, I loved your reply, which is that you thought that I would never ask. <laughs> but you, uh, you're always welcome on the program, man. We've been talking for – I was going back and looking at my notes. You were drafted by the Kings in 2009, and then you started attending development camp. So it's been like 10 years that we've been talking, which is – Quite a while, quite a long time. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, obviously we've had a good relationship. Uh, you've always been kind to me, and uh, uh, it's always fun talking to you and talking hockey and all sort of other sports, so I enjoy speaking with you anytime. Well, yes, thank you. Uh, we do share a mutual love for uh, MMA, and I'll get into that a little bit because whenever I talk to you or about you, I always have to make reference to the uh, GSP mask, which I'm still kicking myself that I wasn't able to wrestle that away from you. But let's sort of start at the beginning of your career and, and, and maybe work forward. So you're drafted in 2009. Uh, you're playing in the Quebec League. You start to come to Los Angeles for development camp. When you look back on it now, what are some of those early memories of first coming to L.A. and being in, you know, at TSC and sort of being around an NHL club? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it was my first time um, or second time in the United States when I come, came to L.A., so I was really far from home. Um, definitely that flight uh, was a long flight the first time I came down for dev camp. Uh, a lot of butterflies, a lot of unknown, and... Um, you know, as a kid, I've always been someone who's been, um, you know, looking up to those uh, pro guys, I would say, and uh, to know that I would be on sharing the ice with them and that kind of thing. I think uh, it was very exciting. Anybody that you very early on remember hitting it off with? Because back in those days, I think you guys had roommates and, and you know, you guys did a lot of uh, bonding activities and things like that. Was there anybody that was around in that prospect pool way back then that you sort of hit it off with? Uh, well, I just, I always was matched with goalies. Um, so I had Jonesy as a roommate for a couple camps. Um, I had Bartlesack for one camp. And uh, I've always been someone who's had great relationships with uh, the other goalie partners, and uh, I enjoy kind of learning from them. Uh, it's something that I've always done is, you know, kind of chat and ask questions. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or if they're a rookie or an older guy. I think you can learn from everyone. So uh, I think I've had good experience with all those guys. And uh, obviously, like, coming in, we had a really good pool of guys like Andrea, Foley, Pearson, Wheel, uh, Lyndon Vay, and um, I'm sure I'm missing a few, but uh, Forbert, and you know, those are, are friends that uh, we've we've made throughout the years. That uh, you know, whenever we can talk or see each other, it's like uh, we saw each other last night. Oh. Well, it's always good when there's an Andy Andrioff reference. Of course, we love the Golden Greek. Nobody loved to tan more. I mean, I know Toffoli liked to try to tan, but he would always burn, which was the joke. But Andy was just like a Greek god out there, right? He was lubing up, and he was all about the sunshine. Yeah, it's not fair. Uh, I think he didn't need to spend too much time in the sun that, uh, you know, he got a, a full body tan, and uh, he didn't have to switch side too often. And... uh for sure, yeah, he's got that down. Yeah, it is not fair. I do agree with you. It's not fair at all. Uh, look, there are, 
three coaches that I want to ask you about today because they sort of cover the the spectrum of your time in the LA Kings organization. We have to start with, of course, one of the most colorful characters of all time in Smurf, uh, who I deal, I stu, uh, deal, uh, I still do keep in touch with, uh, tongue-tied there. He, of course, is the all-time winningest coached coach in the ECHL, and um, I will forever be impressed with him taking over the team in Ontario with about two weeks to go, no players, and basically put an entire roster together and went out and won a division championship. I think it speaks to, to his abilities as a coach. But what do you remember most about playing for Smurf? Uh, well, first of all, when I got sent down from Manchester going down to, uh, um, going down to Ontario, uh, Hubie McDonough at the time told me, he's like, Hey, once you land, just text this guy and he's going to pick you up at the airport. And I had a long day and I think I landed around 9 PM, um, Pacific time. So I get this number and he's like, just call him, call him Smurf, whatever. So call Smurf, no answer, <laughs> text him, no answer. And I'm freaking 20 year old. First time in LA. I have no clue where to go. LAX is a freaking city. So. I have mm-hmm. no clue where to go. And, oh, I, I'm sorry. I was flying in Ontario, actually. But uh, no matter what, so I texted Hubie. I'm like, hey, this Smurf, Smurf guy is not answering. What do I do? And sure enough, it was like 1 a.m. over there. No answer from Hubie. <laughs> so the next day, Smurf picks me up. I found a motel, literally a motel. On, I forget where. It, it was like a motel, uh, what is it, Motel 6 or Super 8, something like on, that. On like Holt Avenue. <laughs> right off the 10. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, I, I didn't sleep that night and whatever. Sure enough, Smurf the next morning calls me up and he's like, Hey, where are you at? I'm like, I'm at Super A. He's like, You couldn't find a better hotel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was, I was so lost and just being a kid. And, but yeah, to go back to hockey, I think he was, uh, he was great. He was definitely a passionate coach. Um, he, he was, you know, in the game all the time and he expected a lot of out of us and you know it's the ECHL so I didn't know what to expect but um he was awesome like he especially to me he always made sure that I had what I needed and obviously like when you're uh, on an NHL contract they they tend to kind of give you a little bit more attention and he made sure that uh, you know I was going to be able to make the next step and make sure I was ready if I was getting called up to the the A yeah, he always had a tremendous amount of respect for you, either publicly or even privately, would say great things about you and, and loved his time with you. Um, this next guy, uh, I'm going to ask you first, and then I have some follow-up questions. Of course, you probably have, I would say, perhaps, maybe you would agree, your greatest success with him, Mike Stuthers, who was the coach in Manchester when you guys won the Calder Cup. What do you remember about Stutz? Uh, he's definitely the kind of coach you're scared of. Uh, you don't want to do too many mistakes. Um, you know, you're uh, a little bit tighter, but once you get to know him, uh, you, you see the type of coach he is and uh, he knows how to press the right buttons. And uh, for some reason, it always worked out with me. Uh, that type of coaching, that's a little bit more stiff and, uh, you know, that won't let give you a break anytime. And, practices were the hardest I've ever had with him. And um, it was very beneficial to my development to have a coach like that, that was always pushing us goalies. Like we had a ton of shots and every, every reps that we took, it was either a goal or a whistle. So, you know, we would play the puck until there was a goal or a whistle. And it just got me really good uh, practice habits that translated to games. 
Now, of course, I, I had to reach out to him uh, to get some good stories. I always had tried to dig up some good stories on guests before we have you on. And one of the things that Stutz uh, pointed to, I'm not sure if you remember this, he said very early on that you guys had a, a conversation about controlling your emotions. And um, he said that you would break your stick off the post or off the crossbar if you felt that it was a bad goal. And that he, he talked to you and he, he, he very uh, clearly emphasized certain words. He said that he asked you um, to please not do that again because it sends the wrong message to teammates, maybe to the opposition or even to the fans. Uh, and, that, and then do you want to take the story from there? Or would you like me to finish the story? It's funny because when you said you asked him for some stories, I knew exactly <laughs> what, <laughs> what he was going to talk about. And yeah, I'm like I said, like practices were really intense and very competitive. And I'm a competitive guy and um, I hated to get scored on. So I broke maybe too many sticks in practices. And it, it, like again, it translated to games where sometimes I had a bad game where I gave up a bad goal and it broke my stick. And I remember one time in overtime against, uh, it was Newfoundland at the time, and we broke my stick. And next, I think it was, was it the same game? It was after the game. He absolutely leaned into us. Uh, it wasn't pretty. And of course, he pulled up the clip in front of everyone of me breaking my stick and throwing my stick on the board. And um, I think the message was passed after that, that it's not the right way to do it. And I remember that conversation with him. And after that, um, I looked at him in the eyes and I said, this is the last time I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, it, he He's such an interesting person because he can be a teddy bear, which he probably would hate me saying, but he can be such a teddy bear, yet at the same time, such an intimidating person. So um, definitely two sides to the coin uh, when it comes to Stutz. Yeah, well, I mean, he demands a lot of respect, and um, I think uh, it's such a great quality of his where he can, you know, when it's business time and it's time to be serious, he's very serious, but uh, he knows how to be more relaxed and have fun with the boys, and uh, that's something I always appreciated from him, and you know exactly what kind of mood he's in, so th there's no gray area, and uh, yeah, he's... I, I loved him. Uh, I don't think uh, you'll hear too many guys say bad things about him, and it just, uh, you know, speaks for itself. I can tell you I have yet to meet a single person that ever has a bad thing to say about him. It's pretty remarkable because in the world of hockey, you, you'll, you'll sometimes get guys that will say things positively on the record, but then, you know, privately when you're having a conversation, they'll, they'll let something slip. Nobody has ever slipped when it comes to Stutz. It, it's nothing but good things, funny stories and things like that. Um, we could do a whole episode or two or three even about him uh, working out with guys and you know riding the bike with the team and the whole thing but uh, I will leave you on on the Stutz note by telling you he after we got through the funny story he uh, said a lot of positive things about you and he really um, felt that you guys had a great relationship and said that he ha uh, just played the hell out of you and had no problem going to you just over and over and over again because uh, he really respected you and thought that you guys had a good relationship so it ended on a good note I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I remember, uh, I think it was the first round of uh, playoffs against uh, Portland. I wasn't playing my best. And, you know, he just kept rolling with me and it gave me a lot of confidence. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, him keeping me in there. And I don't think I ever told him, but uh, it just gave me a such a tremendous boost of confidence. And, um, you know, he 
a lot of respect for him for sticking up with me and sticking up for me too because you know he had all the reasons in the world to go with uh, Bardo at the time and uh, you know he just kept rolling with me and uh, sure enough it worked out. Uh, back in those Manchester days, Mayor's Manor had a, a full-time guy who was there to cover the team, Andy Tong, who fancied himself as a former goaltender. And uh, I didn't plan on asking you this, but I will. I'm just curious, did, did Andy ever talk to you about his aspiring goaltender, uh, you know, his aspirations about being a goaltender? I, I think he mentioned it a couple times, and I couldn't believe him. <laughs> I'm like, there's no way this is all fake stories and fairy tales. <laughs> But yeah, Andy was great. Andy was good uh, around the guys. And uh, I think he will tell you that Stutz uh, maybe didn't like him too much around the guys. But, uh, you know, he was very uh, innocent and very good at his job and making sure he was giving us uh, the space we needed at times. Yeah, well, it's good to hear that. Um, he was certainly a valuable member of the of the Mayor's Manor team for, for many, many years. And it was it was awesome for sort of him in his final year of covering the team full-time, and then the team, of course, their final year of being in Manchester to be able to win a cup. Just uh, what, a, what a way to go out. Now, many years have gone by. You, you've had a number of different stops in the organization, but it was exciting. I'm going to say it. I thought it was exciting for you to come home and be part of the Ontario Reign again. Obviously, it's an AHL team now compared to when it was the ECHL team when you were there before, but it's really a totally different situation. It's been so many you know, years, so many years have passed. It's a new team. It's a new organization. You guys were playing out of TSC. You weren't even playing out of Ontario. Um, and you have a new coach that you, I'm assuming had never even come across before in, uh, in Robo. So, so what were your earliest uh, recollections of meeting Robo for the first time after you signed to come back into Ontario? Yeah. Well, like you said, I didn't know much. I knew Ontario and I knew, you know, the, this office staff, but I didn't know anyone from coaching staff other than Hyder. And he's the first one uh, that I reached out to. And, uh, you know, Robo, when I first met him, he projected like a good, um, you know, the type of coach that I've been used to that's um, kind of authoritative and that's uh, um, knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's got, you know, a very uh, certain way of doing things. And uh, yeah, it was good. Now in that first part of the season, when things weren't going well, the wins were not there. I mean, it's like one win in the first, whatever, 12 or 13 games. Uh, and, and, you know, the vultures are circling on the outside. What, from your perspective, I'm assuming you're not rattling at this point. Like you're a mature player. You're not an 18, 19, 20 year old kid. Um, some of those other guys might have been gripping their sticks a little bit and things like that. What was it through looking at that situation through your eyes when the rain weren't, you know, when they didn't get off to such a hot start this season? Well, first of all, you just looked at the talent we had in the locker room and we just knew it was a matter of time before things started clicking. And when you have so many young guys that are playing their first pro year, uh, you can't expect things to go the right way right away. And we knew even when I signed, you know, I, I knew it would be a process and I knew that it was more of a marathon rather than a, a sprint. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's something to have success in the, in your junior years, but to have success in the pro years, it demands so much more consistency and uh, another level of concentration and the commitment that I think the young guys had to realize. And, uh, we saw in the second part of the year, things started falling uh, in the right place and we started 
putting wins together. Was it hard or was it difficult for you? I mean, you're such a uh, an easy guy to talk to and sort of get to know. So I'm, I'm assuming the answer to this next question is no, but was it difficult for you being one of the, the very few older vets that, you know, were on the team, you had all these really young kids. Uh, did you, were you able to, I mean, you're not an old man. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but are, were you able to relate to those guys? Like, can you relate to Turcotte and, or, or does he look up to you? Like, you know, he looks up to the, to the vets on the Kings. Yeah. Well, that's, that was a good thing. Like, I'm, especially Turk, I was probably the one who's the most, uh, not, I wouldn't say vocal, but the one who would ask the most questions. I don't know if he was like that with the other vets, but I remember him like asking me questions about like, hey, like how should we do things? Should we do it this way or that way? And how should I, should I go on a optional morning skate, you know? And that type of questions that only us veterans probably can answer. And um it was hard, though. I have to say that, you know, having, like you said, having a few, only a few veterans, you know, it's who do you talk to, you know? Like, me and Sats spoke a lot, and uh, Sats is such a, probably one of the best captain I've ever had, and especially, you know, it was a tough group of guys that we had because they were so young and innocent that everything was so raw, and they had to be kind of uh, polished a little bit, and um, but again, guys are, you know, there's really good people on this team. And that's one thing I've realized with LA is they're going to choose the right people on this team. And, um, you know, to their credit, they've chosen really good hockey players, but even better persons or people off the ice that, um, you know, will represent the team very well. When, without naming names, I'm not looking for you to throw anybody under the bus, but were there times where you sort of, laughed like because as as any of us get older we can look back the way that we were 10 years ago and we kind of laugh about ourselves did you ever watch some of those guys do sort of dumb things that kids do and then you say you sort of laugh to yourself thinking oh my god i probably did that when i was their age and did you have those moments where you kind of laughed at them through your own experience yeah 100 percent. and the first thing i tell myself <laughs> is i wish someone told me right away you know how I was acting. <laughs> and that's kind of a good <laughs> it's kind of a good uh thing to to see because um you know i'm i'm not someone who's very vocal but if someone asks me my honest opinion i will give it to them so you know it's, it's little things that sometimes you see that you're like hey dude you can't do that you know like you, <laughs> you just keep at home or whatever but like, again like we had such great guys on the team that if you said something to someone they wouldn't take it the wrong way or they wouldn't look at you right. a, a certain way so um, you know, they, they're young kids and they're there to learn and to get better. And that's, it was a really good year. Too bad it was a shortened year. Cause, uh, you know, I, I loved uh, every single one uh, on that team. What about Robo during that entire experience? Like, did you ever just sort of look over at him and, and wonder what was going through his mind? Right. I mean, he's, he's a first year coach with the team. He's trying to get his sea legs under him. He has all of these younger players. He's trying to rally all of them. It is a weird season. You guys are playing out of the training facility. You guys are sort of stepping on top of the Kings because they're out of the same facility. Did you ever just look at him and just sort of shake your head and wonder how is he getting through it on a day-to-day basis or, or was he just calm, cool, collected all the time? Yeah. Well, I think his personality, um, was the right fit for the type of team we had because uh, uh, you can tell he had a plan and honestly, he stuck with it all year. Even when things weren't going well, he trusted into his plan and the plan that the coaches uh, 
put together over the summer and um you know to his credit he stuck with it and guys started buying in when we started having success and nothing really changed from you know going 112 earlier in the year to finishing 10 and 2 i think it was or maybe even better that you know it, it again everything was so raw and it, we just needed time to put everything together and guys buying in and once we started rolling we were going yeah it felt like unfinished business to me um that playoff game there in um in Irvine you know Dersey was out of the lineup that's a key defenseman to be out and it, it because you guys were rolling and on such a roll there at the end of the season, that one and done playoff scenario, it did sort of feel like unfinished business. It was very unsatisfying, uh, at least, you know, sitting in the stands watching it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was kind of a weird game. Like, yeah, again, like I don't want to be a dead horse, but it's, you know, it, it was such a weird year where playing in front of nobody and in a practice rink or great parks was probably, you know, a, the best rink we played in other than other rinks like Arizona or uh, places where they allowed fans was, you could just tell how much easier it was to get uh, prepared for a game and motivated. And when I say getting motivated, like we were always motivated to play even if it was Toyota center, but you don't get those same butterflies as when, you know, there's maybe eight, 7,000 people, you know, cheering. So um, it, it was definitely a challenge and, that playoff game just felt like a continuation of the season where, you know, it was just another game and we knew that it was do or die, but you know, it, it sucked that it was just one game and, and that yeah. was over. It did have a weird flow to it. I think you guys jumped out early and then I think Akil had a goal and then it was, it was tied for a while and then just sort of got away in the third period. But uh, yeah, we don't have to dwell on that or beat a dead horse. Like you said, we can, we can move on. Um, a couple of other, it's just sort of random things. Um, Sitting right now today, I mean, unless you want to break some news, I believe you're a free agent uh, or you're about to be uh, with the Kings. You signed a deal or with the rain, you signed a deal very late in the process before camp started. What was the, the general market like last year? Was it as dry as everybody sort of said it was that people thought that there was going to be there were going to be extra jobs available for the goaltenders because of the uh, the taxi squad and thing like things like that. But the market in general seemed really dry, really tight last year. What was it like from your perspective? Yeah, it's it was definitely frustrating at times. Um, I didn't expect to, to drag this long uh, before I got a contract. Uh, everything was just dead. Like talking to my agent, he's like, teams are not moving. Teams are not even returning calls. And it was very frustrating to be at home for this long, not knowing what's going to happen. And all of a sudden within, I think, a week before training camp, started getting all those phone calls. And it's almost like teams are like, holy crap, we – we're starting. It's real. Like we're, it's happening. Right. So, um, definitely had to make a quick decision. And I mean, obviously when Ontario called and, you know, it, the option was on the table, I think, um, I was definitely excited and just the situation we were in with COVID and, uh, we had a newborn baby. So, uh, I think it just made sense for me to come or stay home, stay here and, uh, you know, go through this year. And obviously I, I would have, like to have uh, a normal season and be in front of fans and, you know, kind of had a real shot at, you know, like having a good year, but um, I'm still very happy of my decision, very happy of the way my season went. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's just even more experience that I put in my toolbox and uh, we'll see what happened next. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to be uh, Debbie Downer, but if unfortunately you aren't brought back to Ontario, will will the return home be a little bit bittersweet? Because like you said, you you came home, which everybody always dreams of doing, but you didn't get to play in front of fans. You didn't get to go back to the same building. It just will it be a little bit bittersweet in that sense that it was it was kind of like half fulfilled, in, 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 you know, a little bit. Yeah, 100 percent. I always believe that you know, somewhere maybe like the last few weeks, we would maybe like have an opportunity to play uh, at, at the game rank or even, you know, I was hearing rumors, maybe Staples and uh, that really got me excited. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I think, yeah, it's a little bittersweet, but just to be back in the Kings organization and be around uh, the guys and, you know, a lot of familiar faces with the Kings that I saw almost every day at the rank, that's, the benefit of being in the same practice rank that you're so close to all those guys and uh, seeing the development guys like Nelly, Mel, and all those guys, you know, being around Luke, uh, you know, Muzz and all those guys, it was just great to catch up with them. And uh, yeah, but again, it's bittersweet that I won't have to, uh, I won't have a game in front of fans. Yeah, um, you did. Uh, you mentioned there the newborn. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. You've been very lucky in life. You've done well for yourself, Brubes. You have a beautiful wife. Uh, you have a newborn baby. So how's the family going? Really good, really good. Yeah, the little boy is growing up so quick. It's unbelievable. He's uh, he's definitely a little cutie. He's going to break some hearts, and uh, you know he's he's all moms. He's got you know her face and. Uh, he's, uh, he's starting to have a little personality and, uh, he's always smiling, always laughing. He's a super easy baby. So I'm very fortunate. I, that, that was the one thing becoming a father that I was a little scared is, you know, I'm someone who likes, uh, sleeping at night and, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't consider myself an early riser, but if I can get seven or eight hours of sleep, I'm, I'm fine. And sure enough, after I think the first two months, he was sleeping five or six hour nights. So. Uh, that was huge, and I knew that it wouldn't be a, a concern during the season. So pretty happy, and things are moving quick. <laughs> One of the things that I uh, like to see is the fact that you, you're an active person. You like to go out. You like to do things. You like to be around. You're not really always a homebody, and uh, you don't seem to give the impression that you're one of those parents that's you know overly protective and just staying at home. You you take him pretty much anywhere that you want to go, and he, he's just part of the crew. It's, it's gone from a, a twosome to a threesome now. Oh, absolutely. I think that's the, the biggest thing uh, when we had our, our Caden. Um, we just want to bring him everywhere. I think it's, it's so important for him to learn to be around people. And uh, I know he's really young, but, um, you know, like I think if we go on trips, we've been on some, you know, some uh, staycations that here around California and he's always coming with us and, uh, you know, I see value in it and I think it's going to long-term help him. Uh, hopefully my, hopefully my lifestyle kind of settles down a little bit when he's older, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's, I think it's important. It's very valuable when you know how to travel and how to, uh, interact around different kind of people, different places and all, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, hopefully when he's 20, if he lands at a weird airport, he'll uh, he'll know what to do and won't end up at a Super 8. So, hey, um, I'll, I'll always le- answer le- his phone call, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't wait to tell Smurf uh, or to chirp him about the fact that he, he left you hanging at the Ontario airport. Um, a couple of quick ones, by the way. Thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome to have you on and, and talk about your career and reminisce a little bit. But I do have a couple more. Uh, AHL East, you spent some time in out East instead of out West. We know from an NHL perspective that the game is different. The Western Conference versus the Eastern Conference. What about at the American League level? When you're when you're playing out there, is it different in, in the Eastern uh, Conference compared to what you had in the Pacific Division? Um, I'd say, like, when I... It's hard to say because I only played, what, one year in the Pacific, right? In that past season because um, mm-hmm. we're obviously in Manchester, we're in the Eastern. And uh, I'd say, like, here in Pacific, guys are bigger, definitely bigger, older um, you, you know, you look at teams like San Diego, uh, Bakersfield, Colorado, or all like they have a solid veteran core group there. Um, so that's one thing I noticed. Uh, East Coast is maybe a little bit more um, uniform as, you know, like younger guys, a um, couple veterans. So that would be maybe the biggest difference, I would say. The style of play as a goalie, I think I didn't notice too much difference, but um, I've heard that the East Coast from players that it's more structured and more like kind of dump and chase change type of play, more like college hockey type mm-hmm. of game uh, where here in Pacific would be or Western Conference would be a little bit more skilled and uh, more, um, I wouldn't say more exciting, but just more skills, more bigger guys. So more hitting, more fighting. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then a couple of guys on the team I would have to ask you about. You already mentioned uh, Turcotte. Just any impressions of Byfield? Byfield, he's, it took him a little bit to uh, get out of his shell, but once he uh, started getting comfortable, he's a character. He's, he's really funny. Um, he's someone who's very um, interesting, I would say. Not in a bad way. He's just definitely you know he's going to be very successful he's got that type of personality that uh um he just gives so much confidence there's so much confidence coming out of him that uh you know you can tell he's going to be someone who's going to have a long career when you say interesting for my money there's nobody more interesting than akil thomas he's fascinating he can carry on a conversation about virtually any topic yeah he i've had good conversations with him and uh He's really into wellness and, you know, all type of crazy things that you would never think of, of him or a young guy like him. Uh, very mature, super mature. Mm-hmm. I would say like in that young group of guys, he was probably the most mature guy. Um, just the, the way he handles himself and the way he carries himself. Uh, I think he's just a very mature young guy. And again, like he's someone who can fill in any role uh, on a team and, uh, great, great locker room guy and another guy that's going to have a long career. Yeah, I think he'll be wearing a letter next year for Ontario for sure. Um, Kapari, every year that he comes back, uh, he, he speaks a little bit more English and he has kind of like a, a funny side to him. And I'm just curious if you ever had a chance to to see that at all. Yeah, he was he was a little quiet at the beginning and then he went up to LA and then came back down. And I think that gave him a little bit more confidence and he was a little bit more talkative in the locker room. And 
yeah, I can see him, uh, you know, he's got those little jokes, little one-liner that uh, makes you kind of crack a smile sometimes. Uh, his English improved a lot uh, throughout the year, and uh, he's another guy that, you know, he's a good hockey player, obviously, but uh, just another good person. Now, defenseman-wise, there's one guy I have to ask you about, uh, Jacob Bavari. He was only here for, well, he played a little bit more than half a season, but for my money, he was the best defenseman on the team, which is amazing when you consider, A, there's such a knock on his skating, and B, he's you know fresh over from Europe and really uh, doesn't have a lot of North American experience. But you noticed, at least I did, I noticed a huge difference when he was out there um, and he made the team a lot better. I'm curious, from a goaltending perspective, what did you see in front of you with Mavari? Yeah, he's he's the type of player that you when he's on the ice, he sees on the ice, you feel comfortable. You know, you know he's not going to make a bad play. His first pass is most of the time always on the tape. Um, very smart, very calm. Uh, he's not he's not like a dangerous player uh, when he's on the ice. He's very methodical, and you know the type of plays he makes and just his positioning is really good too. So. Uh, yeah, he's, he's another guy that's very interesting that, you know, kind of shy at the beginning. And as he got more comfortable, he started cracking some jokes and he, he, he's, he's probably one of the funniest guy I think I've been around this year. And, uh, really 100%, um, the most improved player this year on our team. Um, it, it, it sucked that he went down with his shoulder injury earlier this year, but he, uh, he was he was really good when he came back and for being out for this long and coming back even you know the way he did i think was unbelievable for him and i really enjoyed playing with him yeah i uh, this next guy the last guy i want to ask you about jacob ingham i don't think you had too much of an opportunity to spend time with him because he was in la very briefly but i am curious did you have a chance to interact with jacob ingham at all and do you have any sort of impressions yeah i actually did uh I spoke to him a lot, actually. He he was uh, asking a lot of questions, uh, which is great. And, um, you know, he he's someone who wants to learn, and that's awesome to see at, at a young age. He wasn't shy to ask questions and ask me, like, how would you do things? And uh, for me, you know, I'm definitely older now, and that's really something that I've uh, embraced is, you know, helping young guys and, uh, you know, whatever I can do to help them out, I I'm always there to listen and kind of give them my my little piece of advice. So, um, just to see how he was, you know, asking questions and actually like applying it after was kind of cool to see and uh, rewarding for myself. That you know, sometimes there's guys asking questions and it's you're more so just talking just to talk. But he was actually very interested in what I had to say, and uh, it was pretty cool. It's almost as if you have my list of questions. You've set me up perfectly a few times throughout the interview. You just mentioned your age. You're at the ripe old age of 29, but uh, there's a big one coming up tomorrow. It's your birthday, the big 3-0. What's, uh, what are the plans? What are you guys doing? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty uh, – I'm, I'm not someone – I'm. I've settled down a lot in the last couple of years, and obviously <laughs> now with the kid, uh, I'm not as active as I used to be, but – uh, I don't know. I think we'll just go out for a nice dinner. And uh, we actually have a, a spa day on Wednesday that me and my wife are going to go to to get away from the kid for a little bit. So uh, I think that will be my treat. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Unless my wife has a little surprise for me, I, I think it's going to be pretty mellow. And 
Um, again, I'm, I'm not someone who puts too much importance on, uh, you know, those big, uh, milestones. So I'm pretty easy going. And obviously like you realize that at 30, uh, you, my years, my good years, I still have good years in me, but I think the best ones, uh, were definitely, uh, probably behind me. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to what's ahead of me though. I'm, I'm very excited for, you know, what might, uh, open up in my hockey career. So uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think your best years are behind you. I think you still have some good hockey left in you, and there's always room for good people. Uh, you talked about the LA Kings organization getting not just good hockey players, but good people. You're one of the best people that I think that I've come in contact with over the last 15 years in the sport, and uh, I appreciate you coming on today, talking about it. All the best to you. Please give my best to your wife as well. So happy for you guys uh, with the baby, and uh, happy early birthday. Let me be the first to tell you. Happy birthday for tomorrow, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon and seeing where life takes you this summer. Well, I really appreciate it. Always good talking to you, John. All right, JF Barube. We'll be back after the break to talk more about that right after this. Someone falls to pieces, sleeping all alone. Someone kills the pain, spinning in the silence. She finally drifts away. Someone gets excited in a chapel. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, third period. Thanks again to JF Barube for stopping by, uh, as we talked about during that interview there. What a wild ride from being drafted in 2009, playing in the ECHL, playing in the AHL, winning that Calder Cup uh, with Stutz and the crew back there in, in Manchester, and then unfortunate that uh, he finally came back home to Los Angeles to the organization and... Uh, wasn't able to play in front of fans there in Ontario this season. That's just the way it is during the uh, the COVID protocol year. But yeah. we wish him nothing but the best. Don't think there's an opportunity probably for him to come back to Ontario, uh, given the the glut of uh, goaltenders that they have right now after signing Lucas Perrique as well. So if you're unfamiliar with the Kings depth chart, check out the Kings goaltending depth chart article on mayorsmanor.com. Uh, but DB, uh, let's uh, switch gears here for just a brief moment. I want to wrap up on the expansion draft. Then we can talk about the entry draft. I'm curious for some of your takes on uh, other players outside of Los Angeles, other players mm-hmm. that are available that were exposed in the expansion draft. There are some big names out there. They're being hotly debated on social media. This guy should be taken. This guy shouldn't be taken, etc. Uh, are there any players that you feel really strongly that Seattle should take? And on the flip side of that, are there any players that you feel really strongly that they should avoid and not touch? Yeah, well, I think from a leadership standpoint, if Mark Giordano, well, not if, he, he's available, like he's your captain. I think that would be the guy that I would pick. He's got one year left. I know there's a lot of tread off the tires, but this is a guy who was in, 
was an undrafted free agent, wound up winning a Norris Trophy. I think that's a great leader in the room. Uh, he's familiar with the Western Conference, playing, playing Calgary all his career. So um, that would be one guy I would pick. And, John, I know he gets maligned in Philly a lot, um, and I know you love the Flyers. That's your second team. But JVR, <laughs> he's going to score 25 goals, John. I mean, he's going to stand in front of the net and score 25 goals. I don't care about the analytics. I don't care that he can't skate fast. That'd be another guy that I would pick. And when you go to Nashville, I, I would pick – um, Ryan Johansson. I know he's he's underperformed. I know that trade for Seth Jones doesn't look good right now, but he's a legit number one center. Like if you surround him a little bit more talent, maybe it works in Seattle. The guy I would not pick, John, would be Matt Duchesne. Like eight million dollars for that, and he scored I think thirteen points last season. Like it, it's just a, a way overpayment. One of the reasons that Philly uh, that Nashville's up against it right now is the underperformance of Matt Duchesne. So I would stay away from him. The guy that really intrigues me, John, is that if you want him from a branding or a personality standpoint, but not from a playing standpoint, would be P.K. Subban. I'm sure there's a faction of Devil fans that, that would be happy to see him go because uh, he really hasn't delivered for this team. But if, if you want a guy that's going to come into a market, actively promote the team, be visible in the public, um, I think P.K. would be the guy. I'm not sure. Again, this performance in New Jersey, it's... You know, I think that with respect to his cap hit, John, I think there'd be there'd be ten or a few novenas to take him. So that would be a guy that that would be kind of a a buyer beware. I think it could be a really good upside, just one year left on his deal. It could be a downside with respect to his performance. Um, with respect to the rest of the league, I don't really see anybody to avoid. Just to me, like the the performance of Duchesne, if they pick him, that would be kind of a red flag with respect to that. But I think there's there's some quality guys out there. Um, and to, to, to me, the JVR is the guy. And even if they want to flip, because again, he's going to score goals. He's going to go to the net. And, um, yeah, he's not the most flashiest player in the world, but uh, that would be a guy that I would certainly, if I'm Ronnie Francis, I would maybe after Giordano or maybe Carey Price, if he's going to pick him, uh, that would be like the second or third pick I would go. Not that it matters, but that would be the guy I would pluck off of Philly. Okay. Uh, down the road in Anaheim, I, I was uh, I went ten for eleven in terms of who I thought that they were going to protect. Little surprised by the guy that I was wrong about. Uh, I thought that if I thought that their only other option would have been to go four and four, but no. Uh, lo and behold, I uh, hit ten of the eleven, and they protected Nick Delorier, which I found rather interesting. Yeah. And had a number of number of people texting me early Sunday morning asking questions about it uh, when the lists came out. I'm a little, I'm a bit curious by that. Uh, but it does, I think you talk about redemption earlier with double A. What a fantastic story uh, Nick Delorier was, you know, uh, from a yes. defenseman who was drafted uh, playing playing D in the queue. And uh, then during his time in the American Hockey League, actually ended up be, uh, becoming a forward. And then now he's a productive player for Anaheim to the point that they felt they would want to go ahead and protect him and leave uh, some of their younger players, one defenseman, one forward, uh, you know, come to mind. And I think it'll be Hayden Fleury that ends up getting – uh, getting selected yeah. by the Ducks, but did you have did you have any thoughts on that? Were you surprised that they uh, protected Delorier? Yeah, when I saw the name John, I was, and and you know he's got one year left at a million, and he's unrestricted at the end of this season. So I, I think it's just a you know a, a guy who earned a spot. Who and again, you want to talk about the component John of having some mm -hmm. toughness on the fourth line. He gives him that, and maybe it's a function of they've got a lot of young prospects and they don't have a ton of great established players anymore, right? Gretzlaff is an unrestricted free agent, right? He's gone. He's not, doesn't need to be protected. I think it's a function of where they are with respect to their roster, right? It's skewed mm -hmm. towards prospects who are exempt. And so the fact that Nick got protected, I think that's a, that's a, that's a big thumbs up to him because it shows that, you know, just not about speed and skill. And there's still a facet in this league, a component of a team when you build a roster that's necessary for guys like Nick Delorier that can fill in a roster. 
Yeah, it it really is a, a tip of the cap to him for for being able to, you know, transform himself into being that type of a player and being so effective in his role. Heck, he scored some goals against the Kings as well. So, uh, it, you know, good good on Nick Deloria, and, and he's just a great right. guy too. He always has been, all the way back to his days in Manchester. I think he was at even sure. one of the first guests I ever had on Mayor's Manor Live, a, a different podcast in a, in a different era, but uh, just a great guy and and, and good for him. Um, let's switch gears, DB. Talk about the NHL entry draft coming up. We can wrap up sure. today's program. The very first, under this new contract at least, I won't say the first ever, but the, the first airing of the NHL on ESPN as part of their new deal is going to take place this Wednesday night with the expansion draft, 5 p.m. Pacific on ESPN2. Going back to the Deuce DB, which is really where the NHL yeah. and ESPN <laughs> began many, many years ago. It's going to be on the Deuce Wednesday night at 5 o'clock. Uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, that is. And then on Friday, ESPN is also going to uh, televise the first round of the draft. So, again, 5 o'clock, 5 mm-hmm. p.m. Pacific on Friday evening. Round one usually takes about three hours or so. They'll go through all of the uh, the picks there. Arizona, of course, won't get to participate in the in the sure. party at this time. They, they forfeited their pick or their pick was taken away from them by penalty, I should say. Uh, if you're looking for how things are going to go, the Kings have the eighth pick overall. Uh, in round one on Friday night, I think there is a possibility of them moving up. If they do move up, I think the team that they could be partnering with is Detroit at number six. Uh, don't see them getting any higher than six. When you just look at the teams that are ahead of them, one and two is mm-hmm. impossible. Anaheim's not going to trade out of three. Uh, Jersey was not going to trade out of four. And Columbus, I think, is at five. And Columbus just can't afford to trade down right now, given all the drama no. surrounding Seth Jones and what they're doing. So sure. Detroit would be the best one. Maybe Stevie Y and, and Blake can hook up on something. I, I think there's a only a slight possibility of them doing a deal with San Jose. Just don't see it. Haven't seen a history of those two teams looking up. So it's either six or eight. Uh, most likely it'll be them picking at eight. I don't see them trading back. So the Kings have one pick on Friday night. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't make other deals because they can make trades for either roster players or other things. Um, And then on Saturday morning, things kick off at 8 a.m., Dennis. That'll be on the NHL Network here in North America or here in the United States, I should say. And the Kings have... One pick in the second round. They traded, of course, number pick number forty to get the uh, to get Victor Arvidsson right. out of uh, Nashville. He was on the program recently. They are retaining pick number forty nine, which is LA's pick that they received. Um, it's actually St. Louis's pick, but it came from Vegas in the Alec Martinez deal, I believe. So they'll be picking mm-hmm. at forty nine. These picks come fast and furious because the the clock is much shorter in between picks. In the third round, right now, the Kings have two picks which would be 72 and 89. 89 is a pick that they received from Toronto. I think that was the Kyle Clifford trade, if I remember correctly. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. in the fourth round, they have one pick, which would be uh, pick number 109. That's from Calgary. That was the Derek Forbert trade. Pick five, they excuse me, round five, they had pick 136. Round six, they have a selection, which is 168. Round seven, DB, they don't have a selection because uh, pick number 200, which L.A. had, they traded to Carolina in a deal. And I only mention that because it ties back to the name of the studio again today. Uh, they, the Kings sure. acquired a seventh-round pick way back uh, in 2008 or nine for JSL Band. So the Kings have seven picks <laughs> on the board right now. How many of those picks will they end up making? Who knows? They could make seven. They could make five because the Kings are known to package up some deals as well. They could even use uh, picks from next year's draft to move around the draft board um, I do have my annual prediction article coming out on Friday morning, letting everybody know who I think the Kings are going to pick, not only oh, in the first round, but also taking a look at some players they could be targeting in the second round, the third round, the fourth round, et cetera. 
Um, DB, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to besides trades? I know you love trades. Uh, anything in particular that you're looking forward <laughs> to coming into the entry draft? Yeah, well, shameless plug, we'll be on after the entry draft. We're going to move the hot stove to uh, noon Pacific um, right after the second day of the draft. So we'll have a recap of the draft. So maybe we'll grab your butt to come on afterwards and assess uh, what L.A. did. So, And I th- my question to you, John, is that you mentioned moving the six or keeping eight, or could it be zero? Could they trade that eighth pick um, and get out of the round for an established player? What do you think about the odds of – them trading actual picks since you're you're Mr. Percentage. Give me a percentage of the, the trading the pick for and not drafting in the first round. I think it's less than 50%. So I think it's possible that they move that pick for an established player. It certainly is possible. Uh, but I'll say the same thing that I've mm-hmm. been saying all along when this has come up on various radio interviews and whatnot, and that is that for them to move the eighth pick, I think they have to get a young defenseman back in return. And so that's why I think it's less than 50%. Uh, it, it, okay. it would be a very mm-hmm. specific player. I would really, to be honest, I'd be surprised mm-hmm. if they traded that. Pick and for it would a be a young NHL like. Yeah, it would be. It would be an NHL player, a player that has. I'm just okay. going to pick a round right. number that has 250 to 300 NHL games experience. Uh, you know, he's a left shot. You know, that type of thing. It doesn't mean that I'd be floored if it was Seth Jones because he's a right shot. No, I I think that. That would make sense. It just also means they have more work to do, as we talked about in the last episode, because they have to clear out some other spots for among their top seven. And making that trade now is more doable because the expansion draft will have been over. Now, remember, there's an NHL trade freeze right. up until Thursday. I do want to add this, though. I check in with all my sources on a daily basis, DB, and uh, we are recording this program on Tuesday afternoon. As of an hour before the time we recorded today, the Kings did not have anything cooking. I was checking in with people, finding out what was going on. There didn't really seem to be any sort of sense that anything was imminent, meaning that when the trade uh, freeze ends after the expansion draft and things open up on Thursday, the Kings didn't have anything uh, that they were close to. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, as the old saying goes, right? One phone call changes everything. Um, But... I think that the Kings would be more likely to trade up to six than I do to trade it for an established player just because I don't, I don't get a sense that they're, they're that close to getting the, uh, a, a young defenseman. I, I think they might even be willing to wait this out uh, you know, mm-hmm. six or 12 months before they get that guy. That's, that's my sense at this moment. Yeah, you've mentioned that a couple of times now. Yeah, yeah you've mentioned it a couple of times now, John, that, that – that... That's probably not unless something. Look, one phone call changes things, but it's probably not in the offing here before we get to training camp. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting also because we haven't heard a lot of the usual trade chatter. Things are going to come fast and furious, I think, TB, because we haven't heard that usual trade chatter in the week or two leading into the into the uh, entry draft because of a couple of things. One, we're just barely coming out of the Stanley Cup being awarded, and then so much attention had to be focused on right. the expansion draft that it's going to be like the covers right. are going to be lifted on Thursday. To me, all hell's going to break loose. That 24-hour period or 36-hour period from the afternoon on Thursday of the trade freeze being lifted until mm-hmm. the NHL entry draft happens on Friday night, so it's about 36 hours maybe, a little less than that. To me, that could be a really wild time, DB. I think we could... Yeah. I think we could see quite yeah. a bit of trade, uh, quite a few trades. Um, and I think we could even see some big trades because the flat cap era just, it necessitates that, Dennis. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, John. Like a lot of chatter, but I agree nothing up. Like there might be a lot of chatter, John, but nothing like solidifying because of the expansion draft. I, but after that, like once we're past Wednesday evening at what, 7 o'clock Pacific, like 
you know, I would keep close to whatever you keep close to on Thursday uh, prior to, because I think that window inside there, you're going to have conversations. If you want to move a, a pick in this draft, you got to do it on Thursday, right? Because you're going to pick it on Friday if it's a first round or so. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of conversation. And for the reason you mentioned, John, Flap Cat, you know, there's there's a bunch of teams up against a Tampa. What are they going to do? So I, I think that there's going to be more chatter than usual because of the combination of things, right? It's a perfect storm. It's not just Flat Cap. It's not just entry draft. You have the expansion draft and players are going to be moving around the, the chessboard. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of chatter, but nothing solidified, which is, I think, for both me and you, it's not shocking that nothing's really solidified until we get past uh, tomorrow night. Yep. So there you go. So the expansion draft coming up on Wednesday, live from Seattle. Uh, DB will be on scene covering that. And then uh, the trade freeze opens up on Thursday. The NHL entry draft takes place on Friday. We'll have coverage on mayorsmanor.com. DB, you'll be doing the post game on SiriusXM NHL Network Radio Saturday afternoon. So a lot to get to, folks, this week. So please keep an eye on mayorsmanor.com. We have a ton of draft preview articles up uh, from the staff, not only for guys that the Kings could be in uh, looking at at number eight, but also putting some stuff up about guys in the second and later rounds as well. Another great program. Thanks to JF Barube. And we will be back soon with another episode of Kings of the Podcast. We'll talk to you then, guys.